So if you'd like to follow along this morning uh, for the message, it's Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. We're going to talk today about our glorious destiny as the children of God. And the reason why it's important for us to be mindful always of our destiny is because from God's perspective, when we know where we are going and where we are headed, it actually raises the level of our life here and now. Uh, In fact, the Bible teaches us that as God's people, we should always be mindful of where we've come from and where we're going. That 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 actually helps us in the in-between, if you will, between the time that we were uh, knit together in our mother's womb and we were fearfully and wonderfully made, as David talks about in Psalm 139, that we are not just here by chance and, and just, you know, products of of accidents, if you will, but there was divine design and purpose behind all of us being here, but then to see what we're going to talk about this morning of what God has planned for those who know him in the future. And the Bible teaches that when you and I know where we've come from and where we're going, it literally should every day that we live raise the level of our life, that, that we should not so much be affected by the mediocrity, if you will, around us. But we should allow the Word of God, the truth of God, the promises of God to to rise us above the mediocrity. And and listen, folks, we know there's plenty of mediocrity even within the church, even within those who profess to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It pervades all of society and, and has even crept into the church. And if we're going to be, as a church, an example uh, that's better than that, if you and I as individuals are going to live higher than all that we see around us, then we always need to keep in mind where we came from and where we're going. And so this morning, the author of Hebrews, who began to talk to us last week about our great Savior in Hebrews chapter 1, and then this great salvation that we have through Christ in chapter 2. He now wants to continue along that theme. Because he's going to tell us that, listen, this great salvation that we have through Jesus Christ isn't just something that we see the results of here and now. It's something that we're going to see the results of throughout eternity. And he's also going to tie in this, that our eternity and the roles and responsibilities and and service and ministry and all of that that we are going to do throughout eternity is actually tied to the here and now. And Jesus talked about that a lot in his parables where he would say, look, in this in-between time, the time that I created you and brought you into this world and the time until you see me and and eternity starts, in this in-between time, it's a stewardship. And I have granted each of you 
resources and gifts and talents and abilities and opportunities and all of these things. And one day we're going to be, as we talked about last week, accountable for this great salvation that we've been given. The very divine presence and power of God living within us every day. And God is going to ask us, what did you do with this great salvation? For this great salvation, again, as we talked about last week, isn't just teaching us that it brings us into a right relationship with God, our sins are forgiven, and we're on our way to heaven. It's something that we not only receive, it's something that we are responsible for every day. And so the author of Hebrews is going to say, and based on that, Let's talk about what God has for us in the future. So beginning in chapter 2 of Hebrews, look at verse 5. And by the way, I hope your fingers are nimble today because we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5, notice the author says, He did not put the world to come about which we are speaking under the control of angels. First of all, notice the Bible teaches something. There's a world to come. Literally, an inhabited universe that is coming. As followers of God, we should not be living for this world. We should be living for the world to come. In fact, John even says in 1 John 2.15, this world is passing away. But the person who does the will of God will abide forever. And you and I have to realize that God saved us for the world to come, is preparing us for the world to come, is training us for the world to come, because he's got plans for you and I, not just here on earth, but throughout eternity in the world to come. Are we keeping the world to come in mind every day as we live our lives? Because let's face it, sometimes as Christians, we get, we get caught in sort of the slog of everyday life. And, and we start to, to just get a very uh, narrow mindset and, and picture of things. And, and we lose the big picture. And, and we start to drown in the details of this life. And we fail to see that God always wants us through him to be able to look above this life and our present circumstances and the things that are going on now and look to the world to come. Because he's going to create that world to come for you and I. And I believe that that world to come is really going to begin to unfold When Jesus Christ comes back. That's really the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. When he comes and takes all believers back to heaven with him. It's something that the Bible talks a lot about. It's what sort of starts the ball rolling, if you will, towards the world to come. Even the author of Hebrews later mentions it in Hebrews chapter 1037 when he says, For the one who is coming, will arrive very soon and will not delay in just a little while. Jesus even said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. (laughs) Even as Jesus ascended up to heaven that day, 
The angels who were there when Jesus was ascending, as the disciples were dumbfounded and astounded and just had their jaw go, ah. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up into heaven? This same Jesus whom you saw go into heaven this way, is going to come back the very same way. The world to come. If you and I are investing in this world, we're going to be very disappointed one day. And we're really going to be very disillusioned even right here and now. Because God doesn't want us to be investing in this world. He wants us to be looking towards and investing in the world to come. Which is why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasure here on earth. Lay up for yourselves and invest in eternity. Always thinking about the world to come. And then the author makes this statement. He says, look, God's plan or God's arrangement for the world to come wasn't to put angels in charge. It wasn't to hand this over to the angels to manage, to administrate, to superintend. That was never God's design in the world to come. In fact, keep your finger in Hebrews 2. Here we go. And go back to the book of 1 Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you have a way to mark 1 Corinthians 6, just keep it there because we're going to come back there a couple more times this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, notice verse 3. Paul here is talking to these Corinthian Christians. And, and they have, they're having struggles figuring things out as a local body of believers. And in order to try to raise their game and, and get them out of the mediocrity that they're, that they're in, he's reminding them of some things. And, and he's reminding them about the world to come. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, notice verse 3, he says to them, Do you not know that we will judge angels? Now the word here, judge, doesn't mean as in long black robe, oh, that type of judge. No, it means to govern. It means to to rule over, to, to manage. And so Paul is saying, do you not know what your destiny is as children of God? He says, your destiny as children of God isn't when you and I get to the world to come that somehow the angels rule over us and, and manage the affairs of us and, and, and superintend and administrate us. He said, no, it's just the opposite. That you and I as redeemed children of God, we will govern the angelic world. Which, by the way, the Bible says how many angels that is, it's innumerable. Myriads upon myriads. There's lots of angels. And so often, even as Christians, we, we sort of put angels up on a pedestal like we do, you know, other Bible characters and whatever. And, and Paul's trying to say, don't you realize that these creations of God that you're in awe of, the angels, one day you're going to govern them? That's the de destiny of God's children? Do we keep that in mind? Are we mindful of that as we live our everyday lives? Back to Hebrews chapter 2. He says then in verse 6, 
Instead, someone testified somewhere. What is man that you think of him? The word think means to be personally invested and involved in. The author is saying, do you realize that God is very interested in each of your lives? And he wants to be personally involved in our lives? Yeah, God. God thinks of us. We may not give him much thought each day, but we are always on the mind of God. We are always in the thoughts of God. God is always mindful of us. Even though he's God and we are, you know, we're just man, but to God, we are someone that he's very interested in and thinks of all the time. Then he goes on to say, and what is the son of man that you care for him? The word care means to look upon in order to help and provide for. God not only thinks of us, but cares for us. And again, the author of Hebrews is trying to say, don't you realize how God views you? So often, I think where we struggle as Christians is, is we don't think much of ourselves. We, we don't think much of what God even has planned or all of that. We again get caught up in the hopelessness and all of that of the society we live in. And we forget who we are. We forget where we came from. We forget where we're going. Even though we might even say, you know, I believe that, that God created me. Is that something that we're mindful of? Enough to think that God personally created me. He personally knit me together in my mother's womb. He designed me. He, he has a plan and purpose just for me. He has dreams just for me. This is what the author of Hebrews wants to remind us of. Then he says in verse 7, You made man lower than the angels for a little while. The word lower here means to be inferior, more feeble and fragile. And that's true. Right now, we can't compare to angelic beings. First of all, they're spirits. And we are bound here in our human bodies. And so we're much more fragile and feeble. But notice what the author says. For a short time, for a little time, for the time you and I are on earth. Because again, going back to what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, one day God is going to put man over the angels. And so just for a short time, while you and I are here on earth, yes, we're inferior to the angelic beings. But one day when we get to the world to come... We will no longer be inferior. In fact, in rank, we will rank above the angels. When was the last time you thought about that? And then he goes on to say, you crowned him, you adorned him, you clothed him with glory and honor. The word glory means inherent, intrinsic worth what we try to tell people. When you believe what the Bible teaches about us as human beings, 
Every human being has been created in the image of God. And therefore, every human being, every human being has an inherent intrinsic worth. And then he says, an honor. That word means value and dignity. God created us to be the pinnacle of his creation. That's how God views man. He views us as the highest thing he ever created. And our destiny is glorious. In fact, again, even though you and I may look at the angelic realm as being higher than us, God says, oh, but throughout eternity, you will govern them. I rank you all higher than them. And then in verse 8, don't miss this. The author says, you put all things under his control. In other words, in the plan, in the arrangement, in the purposes of God, it was always God's plan to place, in a sense, under man the rule and reign of all everything else that he created. That, that was always God's plan. And to show you this, again, keep your finger there in Hebrews and go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. Now don't miss these next couple of words. So they may, what? Rule. Govern. Manage. Be the ones in control over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God's design for you and I when he created Adam and Eve in that garden. And obviously, his design for all human beings after that was that he would place us on this earth to rule and to reign this creation. That was always God's intent. Look over in chapter 1, verse 27, and then on into 28. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and notice the next word, subdue it. And then notice the next word. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. God basically said to Adam and Eve, this is, this is my design. You as mankind are at the top of my creation. And everything else that I have created, I want to place underneath you. It will be subject to you. You will rule and reign over it all. That was God's design. And that has always been the destiny for human beings. Now, if you'll go back to 
Hebrews chapter 2. So God's original intent, verse 8, was to put all things under our control. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, when he put all things under his control, he left absolutely nothing whatsoever outside of his control. Again, from God's mind, there was nothing else that he created that was going to outrank, if you will, mankind. It was going to be man, and then everything else that he created was going to be ruled managed, administrated, governed by us. There's a problem, isn't there? Yeah. And notice the author of Hebrews mentions that in verse 8 as well. When he says, At present, we do not yet see all things under his control. Basically, he's saying, but now, however, man is not fulfilling his destiny. Man is not fulfilling the design that God had. Everything on earth is not under the control of man. In fact, it's pretty much out of control. Because when sin entered the garden... And when sin entered into the human race, don't miss this. This is how serious sin is and why God takes sin so seriously. Because it was through sin that you and I as mankind and our obviously ancestors from way back forfeited what God's design was. We could no longer, because of sin, because of the fall, we could no longer rule. We no longer had the capability, the power, the wisdom, and all of that to be able to rule and subject things to us. Sin deprived us of our destiny. When you think about it even on practical terms today, even in our lives. That God has obviously purposes and plans for our life, again, here and now. And one of the things that God's word wants to remind us of is that when you and I disobey the Lord and, and we don't listen to his voice and, and we miss the mark of God, we sin, that we, we for that period of time are forfeiting our ability to be able to overcome and and rule and get control of our lives and get control of other things in our lives instead of the other way around where life has us and and things have control of us and we can't manage anything and we're not in control of anything and we feel like our lives are out of control. See, what God wants to do through this great salvation is begin to show us through him We can rule. And that other things don't have to rule us. We can begin to manage and control and and all of that through him. And our lives don't have to be chaotic. They don't have to be out of control. Because that was never God's design and destiny for us ever. 
And yes, we lost that through the fall, but what he's going to remind us of is that when Christ came, Christ now through him gave us the ability to be restored to that divine destiny. Because notice these very important words in verse 8. When he says, we, he put all things under his control. He left nothing outside of his control. And at present, we do not, what's that next word? Yet. We do not yet see all things under his control. In other words, the author is saying, but again, God has made a way for us as human beings to be restored to our divine destiny through Christ. I'm going to let that settle for a moment. Through Christ. See, this is why he's saying our salvation is so great. And we've got to get a bigger picture of our salvation than what we just many times carry around as Christians. It's great that we think of salvation as bringing us into a right relationship with God. And it's great when we think of salvation about our sins being forgiven. But but the author of Hebrews is saying our great salvation is so much more than that. It's being indwelt by the divine presence and power of God every day that you and I live on earth. That's why our salvation is so great as well. And our salvation is so great because through this salvation that we have in Christ, you and I are going to be restored to the divine destiny that God always intended for us as his creation to have. We're not there yet. But one day the Bible promises us that that will be our destiny. So let me show you that for just a moment today. Again, as we turn to some other scriptures, keep your finger there in Hebrews 2 and go back again to the book of 1 Corinthians, to that chapter 6 we were at earlier. And look now at verse 2 instead of verse 3. Paul says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The word saint is just another way in the New Testament to speak of a born-again believer, a child of God, a brother and sister in Christ, one who's personally placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's a saint. A saint is not someone in the Bible who's perfect, not someone in the Bible who's performed some miracle. That's not a saint from the New Testament definition. A saint is one who has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and been set apart for God's purposes. That's a saint. And so if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, do you realize that you're in that verse? If you're a saint, then the Bible tells us, promises us, That one day we will judge the world. We will govern the world. We will rule and reign once again over God's creation. Then turn to the book of Revelation. I'm going to begin in Revelation chapter 5. And I want to begin in verse 9 of chapter 5 of Revelation. This is where the saints now are in heaven and they're worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And it says in verse 9 that 
we are singing this song to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed. And at the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people group, and every nation. And you have appointed them as a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And notice that last phrase of verse 10. And they will what on earth? Reign. We will reign on earth. But it doesn't stop there. Go over to Revelation chapter 20. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is not only coming back for his church one day, but after a period of seven years that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back then with us. See, there's, there's two comings of Christ and many people get them confused. The rapture, Jesus comes alone in the clouds, never sets foot on earth to receive the church in the air. Then there's a seven-year gap between that, the rapture, his first coming, if you will, and his second coming, which will come at the end of the seven-year tribulation during the battle of Armageddon, the Bible teaches us about. And the Bible says, unlike the first coming, the, the rapture, where he just never sets foot on earth, he's in the air and he catches us up to be with him and takes us back to heaven for seven years. In this coming, he literally sets foot on the earth. And he doesn't come then to catch believers back to heaven. He comes with believers. You and I will accompany him this time. And when he comes back that time, he's going to put down all those who are rebelling against his authority. And literally, as the Bible says, he's going to make his enemies a footstool. And he's going to establish an earthly kingdom on this earth. And the Bible teaches that it's going to last for 1,000 years. And you and I, as the saints of God, part of our destiny is we will reign on earth and we will reign for that whole 1,000 years. Notice what Revelation says in chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. That's our destiny. That's our destiny. But it doesn't stop there. God's Design isn't that we just as his children rule and reign on earth and rule and reign just for a thousand years. No, he's got a much, much bigger plan than even that. Go over to chapter 22. In chapter 22, he's talking about some of the characteristics about the world to come that the author of Hebrews started out talking to us about in chapter 2, verse 5. And I'll just start in verse 3. There will be no longer be any curse. 
The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. We're going to see the face of God one day. And His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. And they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine on them. And don't miss this last phrase of chapter 22, verse 5. And they will reign for how long? How long? That's a long time, isn't it? In other words, the Bible is telling us our divine destiny is to rule and reign over all of the universe forever and ever. Let me share something with you that I hope will hurt your brain a little bit. And I do this only to get us all to a place where we're more in awe of God and more in awe of this great salvation that we've been given. And hopefully after today, it'll be one of those moments when you and I meet with God and we're in his word, where we walk away from here, even appreciating our salvation more than we've ever done before. Because a lot of times my goal is I want to take even some of the difficult things that the Bible teaches and I want to make them pretty simple. But here, I don't want to try to make this any simpler than what I'm going to say. it. I want it to hurt a little bit. Because I want us to begin to expand and get a big picture here of our destiny as the people of God. And hopefully that this, as it was supposed to, the purpose of why the author of Hebrews shared this was to, again, get the people that he was writing to to raise their game a little bit as far as followers of Jesus Christ. To get out of the mediocrity and the, 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 the mud, if you will, that they were in and realize what God has planned for them. And to say, I, I got I to gotta stop, you know, being controlled and being overcome and being ruled and reigned by all these things. And, and, and I got to begin to become who God created me to be and, and the purpose that God has for me and the one that he's preparing and training for me to, to have for all of eternity. So the Bible teaches that after the thousand year millennial reign of Christ is over, that Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that God is then going to destroy this present heaven and earth and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Basically, he's going to create a new universe. Now, think about, keep, keep you and I, even in this present heaven and earth that is under the fall, you know, it, it's all of it, it, even as vast as it is, and mankind even doesn't still have the capability even for us in America and all of our science, I mean, we, we're just, you know, we're just now starting to get good pictures of Pluto. Whoop-de-doo. We're still, that's still in our galaxy. Do you realize how many galaxies and how vast the universe is? It's so big that man can't even now comprehend it. And one day the Bible says God's going to wipe this heaven and earth out and this universe out because it's been tainted and he's going to create a whole new universe for us to rule and reign over. In fact, even the Old Testament prophet Isaiah sort of clues us into that when he says in chapter 9 about the coming of the Messiah that the increase of his dominion and of his government will never end. 
In other words, what he's saying is that even in the new heaven and new earth, there will not be any place, not one inch of space in this new universe that God creates that Jesus Christ will not rule and reign over. Which means, if we're supposed to rule and reign with Christ, if our destiny is to rule and reign forever and ever, then listen, that means that this whole universe that God is going to create one day, there's not going to be one planet, one star, one, one bit of space out there in any place in that universe that you and I will not be somewhere ruling and reigning over. See, God's not just going to limit it to earth. God's going to fling us all out all over that universe And we're going to rule and reign Christ's kingdom in every imaginable place that exists. Because again, the Bible says there's coming a day where not one little space of the universe will not be under the control of Jesus Christ. His dominion will be over everything. And God, God, plan for us to reign over that forever and ever and ever. Wow. We, even as Christians, we we sometimes think so little of our salvation and, and, and the dreams and destiny and plans that God has for us. And God is saying to us today, My children, get your heads up. And don't let this world get the best of you. I have meant for you to rule and reign over everything that I ever created. And one day, that's where you'll be. So start acting like it. Start being the people of God that God intends for us to be. Hold your heads up. Realize the destiny that we have before us. Glorious. Back to Hebrews for just a moment. Because the last thing we left off with was the author reminding us Yeah, right now, at present, we don't see everything under the control of mankind. In fact, like I said, the more man tries to do it without God, the more he's messing it up. But here's what the author says in verse 9. Even though we don't see everything under his control yet, notice he says, but we see everything. Jesus. And the reason the author of Hebrews is introducing Jesus here is because he's saying it's because of Jesus that you and I one day will get to be restored to our divine destiny. It's because of Jesus that one day we will rule and reign forever and ever. 
It's because God was willing to become man. If you read verse 9 of chapter 2 all the way to the end of the chapter, it's pretty much just telling us, here's what Jesus has done so that you and I can be restored to the destiny that God had always planned for Adam and Eve and all other human beings to have, which was to rule and subdue over everything else that he ever created. And so because God was willing to become man and share in our humanity, because God was willing to go to the cross and be crucified, because God rose from the dead, because God even now is at the right hand of the Father helping us, praying for us, aiding us, supporting us, encouraging us. It is because of Jesus and all because of Jesus that we are able to begin to see and realize the destiny that God has for each of us. All because of Jesus. And so the author again is saying, look, I know I'm not talking about the here and now. I'm talking about the world to come. But the author says, here's something God gave me insight into. That when human beings who know me can be mindful every day they live in the here and now about where they came from and where they're going, that's going to raise the level of the here and now. They're not going to be satisfied with mediocrity anymore in their spiritual life. When they begin to grasp what I have planned for them, they're going to, they're going to get their spiritual life in gear. And they're going to start to consecrate themselves and dedicate themselves and devote themselves to the one, Jesus Christ, who's making all of this possible. I hope you believe today in the glorious destiny that awaits you as a child of God. And not one of us deserves it. Not one of us can earn it. We can't earn, we can't earn to be right with God or have our sins forgiven, much less have a destiny like this (laughs) that the author of Hebrews is describing today. There's no way. But that's how much God thinks of us. That's how much Jesus cares for you. That's what kind of value and worth he places on you. That he not only would want to bring you into a right relationship with him and wipe out our sin and release us from the debt of our sin, but give us an eternal future Filled with this kind of glory. That's why I have to chuckle sometimes when I hear even Christians say, well, what are we going to do for all of eternity? That's an awful long time. We're just going to sit. We're going to rule and reign the entire universe. I don't think you're going to get bored. The things that you and I are going to be privileged to see the places that we're going to be able to go are unfathomable. We, again, it'll start making our brains hurt a little bit when you and I start allowing ourselves to even begin 
to try to grasp and wrap our minds around what God has planned for us. And yet I hope that that glorious plan and destiny that God has for you and me will sort of re-inspire, reinvigorate, re-motivate us to raise our game a little bit. Listen, God's not asking any of us to be what we're not. He never will. But what God is asking of us is that we be the best us we can be. That whoever God made us to be, whatever potential he placed within us, whatever pieces of his image he gave us when he created us and knit us together, that we would rise and be the best us we can be. And I believe that's the message that God has for us as a local church. That as we get ready to move into this next season of our life as a church where God is going to entrust us with our own property and our own buildings and our own, you know, other ministries and things like that. God is saying, I'm entrusting you with this because through this you're going to learn to be those, you know, co-regents with me that I always designed you to be. But in that, give me your best. Be the best you you can be. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for being, even though many times, God, we complain about the details of the future that you haven't revealed, the things about heaven that we're curious about and want to know, but there's nowhere in the Bible to find those answers. But yet, God, there's so much about the future and our eternal destiny that you do reveal that we're not ever mindful of, that we don't think about enough. And God, you have promised that you have revealed in your word everything that we need to know. Maybe not everything we want to know, but everything that we need to know to be your devoted followers, your disciples. So God, I pray today that as we've spent a few moments in a very feeble attempt to try to begin to scratch the surface and explain and articulate the glorious destiny that awaits us. That God somewhere, some, somehow, that landed on a heart today in such a way here that that individual, that person will never be the same again. That your child sees you and sees themselves and sees their future in a little bit different way. And that more than ever, God, as your children, help us, God, to just be so inspired and so motivated to be the best us you created us to be. Help us focus, God, on the glory that's coming and the glorious destiny that awaits us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.